when I think about engagements that didn't work well, that's usually what happened. The expectation setting was not appropriate. You know, we didn't do a good enough job setting expectations and saying, no, we don't want this work when they pushed back um, or they were a little too early stage. So I would say, know exactly who you are. Sit down, write it down, write your messaging and positioning. It's so hard to do. It's so hard to do, but um, it's so hard to walk away from business. Hi everyone, this is Joshua Hoffman and Alex Garashenko, and welcome to another episode of the Masters in Marketing Agency podcast, where we deconstruct the why and how agency owners found their success, and in season three, discuss how to build a community and referral network. Today, I have Amy Winner, the co-founder and head of strategy and development of Wheels Up Collective, a full-service boutique marketing agency that specializes in helping B2B tech companies grow. Welcome, Amy. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Of course. And so I want to open up with your first job, uh, which was at age 12, I believe is what you shared last time. And it was a horse grooming business. So I have to know, how did you get into that? And did you learn anything from that business that you ended up bringing to your current business? Uh, well, you know, like every little girl when she's four or five wants a pony and I was one of the brats who got one. So, you know, I uh, have horses in my blood. It's what keeps me working so I can play. Um, at the barn, but I, um, yeah, I started uh, grooming my own horses when I was young because I was a barn rat and wanted to do it myself. And, you know, my parents said, if you want to do this sport, it's expensive. You got to figure out how to pay for it. And so I um, started hustling the other, the other people at the barn and, um, you know, doing some work for them and, and built up quite the clientele base um, and uh, ultimately ended up making enough money to put a down payment on my first house when I was, I think, 25. So uh, it was quite lucrative. Um, but, you know, I, I think it's just grit. Like, I'd love to say that so much of work is talent and inspiration. But, you know, if you don't have, like, the hustle and the grit to just grind through it, um, I think that, you know, you're destined to fail. Um, maybe fail slowly, but um, it's been, it's definitely started at a young age. And I think uh, I still carry the same grit torch with me every day. But, um well, I think that's an important word, grit, because it might come up in this next question, which is, you know, fast forwarding or fast forwarding a few years to college uh, where you weren't just an athlete. You were, a, and I wrote in this note, a freaking national champion, uh, <laughs> <laughs> which is unbelievable. Um, so, you know, what I want to understand is, do you actually look to hire former athletes? And, and if so, you know, why? What, what do you think that a lot of athletes have that maybe other people don't? Well, I shouldn't say it like that, but you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Especially, I mean, I'm talking about like high caliber athletes, like not kids who did, you know, like little league soccer, or, you know, or little oh. league t-ball, you know, like yeah. I think that in order to survive, especially at a collegiate level or post-collegiate, you know, development level, you know, like you have to balance so much in your life and you have to know how to prioritize and you just have to be able to like grit your teeth and get through it. And um, in our space, we work with startups and a lot of startups is just, it's a race. It's a race to get to the finish line of having a, you know, MVP, uh, you know, their, your market, your minimum viable product, you know, that has product market fit in, t you know, in time before you run out of money. So a lot of it is just grit. And I think that athletes, especially team athletes, um, you know, they're used to shifting. They're used to being able to put, be put in situations where they can, um, you know, pick up something new and contribute. And uh, most athletes don't just kind of 
this is a terrible analogy, but like sit on the bench and wait to be told what to do. So I love hiring a good athlete. Plus we're all a little bit like masochistic, a little bit, like we've all kind of like beaten ourselves up to, to, you know, in, in the name of loving the sport. And so uh, I think our pain tolerance is a little bit higher. <laughs> I, I hear you there. I went on this hike in Colorado and at the very top, I was like, I was miserable. It was like wind in my face and everything. I was like, man, I just love this. And there is something to that mentality right? of being comfortable in the uncomfortable, I think is a phrase that's usually said a lot. Yeah. There's going to be plenty of moments. Yeah. Where... I think. No, go ahead. I I think too, like so much of work is, is staving off procrastination. <laughs> you know, and like, it's so easy to get lulled into, you know, like we're constantly getting bombarded with alerts and, you know, other distractions. And you just have to be able to like, put your head down and get it done. And I think that um, at least for me, it seems, especially if you're a student athlete, like you have a lot on your plate and you just don't have time to procrastinate. And I think that just sets rigor in your life early on. That is a habit that like, you, you know, you only build on that. It's, you don't usually become a procrastinator later in life. So um, I think that's uh, one of the things that I'm super thankful about from being involved in athletics. Yeah, it was cool during our discovery call, you mentioned you like to surround yourself uh, with other winners because you love being competitive. And that um, I thought it was cool, just the mentality that um, if you surround yourself with people that are tenacious, curious, you can teach them everything else. Totally. So I can teach somebody how to run ads. I can teach somebody how to write better. I can't teach them how to want to win. And absolutely. I always want to be like, like the dumbest person in the room. I think there's a meme that goes around that's like, you know, these skills are free and it's like showing up on time and all that kind of stuff. Like totally. it doesn't take it. Mm -hmm. I, I, I forget what they all said, but I always think that was a really good post that goes around is like, there's so many things that you don't need to be smart and that are free to do and will get you 80% of the way there. Ah, and then 80%. Yeah. And just look for a good leader to get you that last 20%. And there you go. You have a, you're, you're a good professional kind of thing um, or good goal setter. Yeah, and, and absolutely. Yeah. Um, now that we kind of talked about a lot about, you know, pre wheels up collective, now we'll jump into wheels up collective. Can you tell us a little bit more about the agency um, and how it started? Yeah. So, um, I was coming, I had spent 12 years in the Seattle startup world, um, and worked at a bunch of different early stage, early stage and pivoting companies. Um, and just absolutely loved the pace. Um, I ended up moving back to the East coast, um, to deal with some family stuff in, uh, 2018 and, um, ended up this like behemoth company, this huge company that was very corporate and and it just sucked the life out of me. I hated it. It was so slow. There were so many layers. There was so much politicking. It just was not a good fit for me. And um, coincidentally, my now co-founder, who I had worked with in Seattle, had gone through the exact same situation where she was at a huge company and it just kind of hated it. And so, you know, we're in the throngs of COVID, the early days of uh, COVID lockdown and we're chatting and you know, everybody's getting into like start, um, sourdough starters and, and gardening, you know, and, and we're like, hey, let's start an agency. You know, it can be our COVID project. And, um, you know, it, it was perfect timing for us because all these companies were racing to get to digital. They're racing to digital distribution. They're racing to get to um, a digital presence, a bigger digital footprint. All these new tools were coming up. Like, remember, like nobody really knew what Zoom was, you know, mm -hmm. or the, the general public didn't know what Zoom was before. Um, before the pandemic. And so there was just this huge gap of, of talent out there to help 
companies adopt a more digital forward um, footprint or strategy. And so we actually had people reaching out to us that colleagues from, from the Seattle world saying, you know, like, Hey, can you help with this? Can you help with this? And, and next thing you know, we, uh, we got the gang back together. I, I called my favorite team of people um, who coincidentally, like no one had a full-time job. Like everybody had kind of been like, you know, downsized, or we had a couple, um, two women that had had babies, somebody went back to school, um, somebody was taking a sabbatical, like everybody on my dream team needed a little side hustle. And so um, Wheels Up was born, and we've kind of been running ever since. So how did you guys get your first customer? Um, it was all through referrals. It was it, it kind of like fell in our laps a little bit. Um, we had, they were all people, and still to this day, all of our customers are are either first or secondary degree connections. So I think Elise and I were just lucky that we have really good networks from being in Seattle. And, you know, I 1000% believe that people work with people who they like, <laughs> you know, like that's the most important or people who they feel comfortable with, like even more than skill set. Um, you know, people like to work with people who they trust. And so we were able to build certainly the first two years worth of customers just off of first first degree referrals, friends that we knew, you know, people who we'd worked with before. And so um, it's nice. It gives you that instant credibility and that instant trust. And so you don't have to spend the first month or two just kind of doing something to have some results to show. You can say like, hey, we're going to, we're going to slow roll this. And we're going to do it the right way. And, you know, we understand that. Um, you know, your, your, your marketing plan needs infrastructure, you know, like nobody gets excited about putting a new roof on their house, but you need the roof. So, you know, a lot of the projects that we were tackling were putting the roof on the house and it was, we were lucky that we had customers who, who trusted us enough that that was the right thing to do right now, instead of, um, something a little flashier or, um, you know, more public, uh, public promotion. Were those first clients, you had mentioned most of your clients now, if not all are early stage startups that have gotten product mm -hmm. market fit, were those first clients, those also, or did it evolve into that? Somehow? Yeah. No, it was always that. And, you know, along the way we end up, we've ended up having a few clients here and there that were a little bit later stage. Um, and some of them worked and some of them didn't, it just kind of depended on what infrastructure they had. Um, and you know what projects they had, but I think that what makes that segment interesting to us is, um, you know, Elise and I together collectively had worked with dozens of agencies when we were at startups, and they were all terrible <laughs> because they didn't they didn't understand two things. They didn't understand the pace. You know, like I don't want to have a meeting about the meeting and then get a document that recap the meeting that that you know like, I I want to go. And then the other thing was th there's constantly this balance between. How do we get something that's good enough for right now, but also has the bones to be able to scale in six months or in a year when you close another funding round or when, you know, you, you catch lightning in a bottle a little bit, it, you need to have the infrastructure to support that. And so I think that those are two things that we bring to the table that a lot of agencies don't or, or can't because they haven't actually lived it. Is that like that balancing act and, and time to time to market for marketing programs. So like, Dealing with such early stage startups, was there, was, did you see tighter budgets? And then Alex, I see you in my little note thing. Was there something you wanted to add to that? <laughs> I was going to say yeah, tight, tighter budgets and potentially non-recurring revenue. Mm. Absolutely tighter budgets. I mean, it's, but also, you know, 
like some of these ad budgets are absurd. You know, these marketing budgets, these agency budgets are just absurd. You know, um, it it uh, it breaks my heart a little bit how much money is set on fire at agencies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so um, I don't, I don't, I think that our budgets are usually lean, but they certainly are not unreasonable um, as a percentage of revenue or as a percentage of um, you know the funding that they get in. Um, you know, sure, I'd love to have twice as much budget, but I think that a tight budget also forces you to be more prescriptive and to really think things through a little bit more. So I'd like to think that it helps us make better decisions when we have a, bu- a budget gun to our heads a little bit, you know, like figuring out how to make that money grow. And, you know, one of my like soapbox issues is that you've got to get marketing out of the red and into the black as quickly as possible. You know, for decades and decades and decades, marketing was just a black hole of expense. And now we have the technology to prove the impact of marketing. And so I'm a huge advocate of um, partnering with the CFO or, you know, whoever's in charge of your books and really like figuring out how are they measuring impact? How can we align with that? How can we start to show um, the value of the marketing dollars. How can we get to a predictive state where if you tell me I have this much money in programs, I'm going to deliver this much in opportunity in mm-hmm. this many quarters? Um, because I've never had a CFO tell me no when I go to them with that kind of data and say, hey, I need more money. So I think that that's always what we're striving for is getting that. Like, And I think in B2B SaaS, like, you can do that. You know, Most of the, most of the um, revenue comes in as ARR and like it's very... Um, cyclical. It's very, um, uh, you, you can anticipate, it's predictable. Um, and so I think you can get, you know, Gartner invented however many millions of years ago, the reverse waterfall. Like you can get to a point where it's it's a predictable funnel. And if you have the right people in place in marketing and sales and customer success, like you can predict it. And um, CFOs love that, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so anything you can do from a, from an agency perspective to help um, show your work and show your impact, um, in dollars and cents, like it's only going to help you get more budget. And honestly, like, I don't want to waste money. I don't want to spend a cent on a program that isn't working. So, um, you know, I think that having a little more rigor around, um, your accountability is a, is a good thing. And maybe a tight budget does that to you. Um, but Hey, if they want to give me more money, I'll spend it. But (laughs) And I think you were talking about re- a repeatable revenue. You know, yeah. I think that that's probably the case with like, you know, any, any projects or, you know, in, in any engagement, if it's not going well, they're not going to rehire you. So um, I, I'd like to think that, that our business is easier to lose than like government business. But, uh, you know, I think if you do a good job, um, you know, I, I don't think you're going to be a good fit for everyone forever. Um, and that's okay. We'd love to see a client like get so big that they hire a big internal team and they don't need help anymore because it was so wildly successful. But, um, you know, we've been able to grow um, with clients pretty successfully, I think. There's, um, I want to dive into this. We haven't asked um, with the amount of marketing agency owners we've interviewed, we've ever never actually asked this question, um, but given your space in mm. um, B2B tech, um, you know, there's always chatter and, you know, different ways to do growth hacks. Um, is there a portion of your marketing business that maybe is not as predictable, but is kind of like a shot in the dark and, you know, like a really creative, uh, growth hack that maybe the CFO is potentially a little bit weary of, but is willing to try it. Like, do you, does your team get into those 
type of scenarios as well, or is it? Yeah, absolutely. No, absolutely. I mean, we're always trying to look for, I mean, let's face it. I don't know how many like silver bullets there are out there. I think that most silver bullets have uh, a lot of grit behind them, you know, that maybe you don't see, but um, you know, I think that we love to test out new, new ideas. Like I'll test any idea, but I think you have to go into it with like, here's the hypothesis. Here's the plan we're going to use to test it. Here's the time frame, and here's the results. And we're going to sit down. We're going to look at the results and figure out like why it went one way or the other, not just did it go one way or the other. And then you know you scale from there. But one of the things that we um, feel is super important with new clients is to make sure that we pretty immediately are running some sort of program to try and drive demand. There's always something right away that um, you know we're gonna. It, it might be one small AdWords campaign, but like something to start testing because you know, with a tight budget, a lot of times, you know, the real world is a better way to test things than a sandbox and hypotheses. And so, you know, I think if we can um, use real live campaigns or real live, you know, initiatives um, to test things and just be set up with that cadence to check in, check in, check in, iterate, scale, shift. um, A lot of times that's the only way to get that speed I was talking about before. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And, and to change course a little bit and and now to get on, you know, the topic of community, um, people clearly trusted you enough to, you know, during the pandemic to join this new company that maybe didn't even have customers at the time. And so you clearly did something right there. And then you also mentioned previously that, um, you know, you were a community manager at your previous job. So like, what's your trick? What's your, what's your trick? I think, um, yeah, you know, I, I think I said this before, like, I work, so I worked at a public sector startup. Um, we sold uh, enterprise data management to government technologists. Um, and government was an easy space, not well, easy-ish space to build community because it's not competitive. You know, everybody's very collaborative in governments. Like, especially if your neighboring town is doing something that's working, like your mayor wants to do it too. And so I think that while that's not necessarily the case in the private sector, there are ways that you can connect people in non in a non competitive way. Like you can find that that um, nexus of of commonality or connection. And you know, I think you know, so social media I think has made um, connections very disingenuous. And you know, like the whole Instagram versus reality. And I think if you approach that community building with um, you know humanity and just being genuine and and helping people first and making good connections like it goes a long way and i think when you're first building your community you have to pick the right people to be the first people in there right like you have to pick the the rock star customers that you have that you know have the right personality to be collaborative and warm and welcoming and you know reach out and and kind of like pull everybody into the fray i think um or pull people in from the fray you know i think that's really important so we started um at socrata um we started having these uh regional meetups this was in person. Um, and, you know, we picked customers to help co-host them and they had great networks and they were able to reach out and like get the right people in the room. And, you know, then once I think people met and had one-to-one conversations, it, it grew from there. We had um, the user groups turned into our user conference, which after we ran it for the four years that I was for four years when I was there, um, it turned into a week long event that had over a thousand people involved with it. It had, um, you know, a data camp, it had a hackathon, it had user groups, um, uh, like 
boot camps for users. It had thought leadership, like, but it's finding like, you can't throw all those people in one room together. You have to, you have to figure out what's important to them and figure out where the commonalities are and, and curate content and experiences that is resonant with them and relevant. Um, and you, you know, you can't do it. That didn't happen in the first year. You, know, you have to take a little bite piece of it first. Like first we'd work with the developers, then we work with the users. I mean, you know, so, um, it's, it's a lot of slog where you have to slog through it. Um, but I think finding the, the, the right personalities to connect people who are likable, people who are helpful, um, and get them on your team is a great first step. <laughs> Was that slog? Was that the word you said? Slog. You got to slog might, through it. That might be the first slog and, reference uh, on the podcast. So. <laughs> Grit, slog. Yeah. Well. <laughs> so, you know, it, it's interesting as I was talking about that, like we tried at Socrata, we tried this. Um, it was a, it was a special, like, you know, app. This was like, you know, in 2019 before Instagram was a total hit or Facebook was like really huge, but it was a specific gamified, um, you know, online community. Flop, like I, and you know, I was the first one to say, like, I'm kind of surprised this was a flop. It had really cool features. You could win prizes. It was, you know, we were like, people are gonna love this, and they didn't. They wanted to have a meetup in person. They wanted to talk to each other in person. They didn't want to message each other back and forth. They wanted to have a real life connection. They didn't want to do it because they got points. They wanted to do it because they were gonna learn something from each other. And I think that um, that was like very telling, right? Um, because on paper, it should have worked. It should have worked great. It should have been a great compliment to what we were doing in real life, but uh, it was kind of a flop. That's, I'm I'm happy you shared that. I think that was great. And, you know, a lot of that is building the community with your peers um, and maybe, you know, coworkers and stuff, but now you're the leader. Um, and, you know, I don't know what your experience is with churn within like the employees at your at your company, but like marketing agencies churn is usually typically pretty high because, you know, the poaching happens a lot of times because it's similar uh, skill level or skill sets, and then they just offer 10,000 more and they're doing the same job. So is there yeah. anything you do to like build the community within your company itself and your employees and everything? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, we've lost one employee and he had two babies. So, or his <laughs> His family had two two new babies, um, and he's a stay at home dad now. But um, you know, like we've been really lucky with churn; we haven't lost people um, because I think that, like, I, I like to think of like the Venn diagram of like what is somebody good at, what are they interested in, and what does the company need? And like, you have to find that sweet spot. You have to make sure that at least eighty percent of what they're focusing on fits kind of in that sweet spot. Um, because if people are working on things that they don't care about or they're not good at. Okay, if people are working on things they don't care about, like you can get a little bit of runway out of them, right? But at some point they're gonna be like, this is miserable. If people are working on things that they're not good at, it's a lot of work to support them and get them up leveled, um, which maybe you have the time to do, or maybe you have the time you don't have the time to do, and maybe they're interested in or they're not. Um, but I think you have to uh, understand what motivates people to come to work every day, especially, especially with the Gen Zers. And, you know, I feel old saying this, but, you know, like, I don't, am I allowed to curse on this podcast? Like they have no room, no room in their life for BS, none. Like they're not tolerating it. They're not tolerating, you know, they're just not tolerating it. And I mean, I commend them for that. I commend them for like, you know, the attention to mental health and, you know, that it's, it's easy to talk about like, Hey, I need a mental health day today. You know, like 
Great. Thank you for saying that and taking the day off. We'll cover for you and get yourself, you know, rejuvenated and back tomorrow or whatever. You know, I think that, um, you know, we, we try and create a space where they love to come to, everybody loves to come to work. We're distributed by design, which is a very important part of Wheels Up's value prop to our team members. Like we have created um, a virtual environment where we've got the technology in place that like, you know what your job is and I don't really care when you do it. You can do it at two o'clock in the morning if you want to do it. You can do it from a beach if you want to do it. You can do it around your kid's soccer schedule if you want to do it that way. Like, you know, I'm a night owl. I am very productive from 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. And so I have my, I know what I need to get done. And, you know, we trust the people that work with us and, you know, they know when it's due and they can do it however fits with their schedule. And I think that is a huge uh, draw, especially for Gen Zers. 100%. 100%. Yeah, we, we we operate in the same way. As long as you hit your goals, it doesn't matter when you do it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't the, care if you're sitting at a desk from eight to five. It's stupid. The interesting there uh, piece there that we have to work around is um, you don't necessarily need to be at your desk, but be available for communication if something crazy comes up um, within a reasonable time. That was the only kind of thing that we we had to address because I mean, dealing in the, in the tech space, there's bugs that come up. And if there's something that comes up on production, we need to dive Mm -hmm. in immediately. Um, Yeah. But yeah, but generally people work whenever from wherever our team's fully distributed. Um, But I wanted to get back into the community um, conversation. You said something that I thought was, was really great. Mm -hmm. You said, helping it's about helping people first and finding and picking the the right first people um and then if i heard you correctly did the community evolve kind of initially you had the one-on-one conversation you set up the one-on-one conversation so there was value built there and then i guess once there was enough one-on-one relationships built only then did you kind of introduce more group events and if I'm understanding that correctly or not, can you just go into more detail there? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So at the time we had um, our our customer success group, which is was helping everybody from implementation on, was getting built out. There was a little bit more rigor around that. We were a little bit more mature. And, you know, one of the things that the CSMs, the customer success managers, you know, they had built great relationships one-on-one. We had really good CSMs that were um, that were doing really good work, and um, they were building those relations. And we had good sellers too. Like we were already from from selling, we had good connections with customers. You know, like I think everybody in your company needs to be a good people person. Like care about mm-hmm. the people who you're talking to, um, which is kind of ridiculous that we have to say that, but it's kind of true. Um, you know, so we had those one-on-one relationships just from sales and from CS. And, um, you know, there were a lot of, since it was a software company, there were a lot of technical questions coming up that the CSM maybe couldn't answer. And so we were starting to pull in dev, we were starting to pull in, we had, um, uh, like community dev managers, you know, that were working with, with customers. And so, um, you know, we started with these user groups and it was just get people together to meet. Um, we'd usually have one customer, one one key customer who we had a great relationship with give a little talk. And one of my, I kind of forgot about this, but one of my favorite things, you know, these user groups, like they were quarterly, we had, I don't know, 10 or 12 regions around the country that were going all the time. And um, we had, we started offering up these lightning talks where you could get up and you could talk for five minutes about anything you wanted. It didn't even have to be about our software or like the topic of, of the user group. Um, but it always was. And people, we had like months long waiting lists 
to do these lightning talks. And it was, I mean, we always recorded them because it was marketing gold. They're up there talking about it in an excited way, you know, fun slides that, you know, they, were, they just like really brought these like pretty boring stories to life. Um, and so I think somehow if you can capture that excitement uh, from the community, then it became like, who's doing the lightning talk this month? Like who, you know, we, we got to the point where we kind of promote those um, and we, they were great marketing pieces um, to share out. Uh, and then that trickled into our user conference when we had, you know, the, the three day long user conference in between the big sessions, we do lightning talks. And so, I mean, I'm telling you, we had a waiting list to get on those light, those lightning talks. People like to share their stories. So it uh, definitely caught, caught fire a little bit. Very cool. Yeah. So, so and now you're having user generated content there as well, that one people can put it on their schedules. Um, and then also yep. you can post it on social media to further expand the community. Um, that's really cool. As yeah, we, I kind of um, wish we had TikTok. I kind of wish we had had TikTok back then for that. Cause it would, you know, like that kind of platform would have been perfect for it, but. Hmm. Um, go into that more. Cause we're, we're, We've been talking about what platforms we are we should be using for the community. Obviously, Slack mm-hmm. came up, potentially Discord, potentially Facebook groups. Um, but yeah, go why why TikTok? Well, I mean, I think it's like you know, so uh, it's so addictive. Like, I mean, which one of us wouldn't admit that like a two in the morning we're scroll doom scrolling through like TikTok because the algorithm has it figured out, you know. So I think like especially, you know, in industries where you wouldn't think TikTok would be a hit, like we've had clients use it and it's a, it's a small slice. It's a small slice of people. But if you reach the, reach the right people, it's not that expensive to do. We actually have a TikTok celebrity on the Wheels Up team. <laughs> She's like an accidental TikTok celebrity. She ended up like a million wow. followers without trying. And cool. so um, she's been super helpful in helping us um, give great advice for how to how to create good TikTok content um, for clients. But I think like those bite-sized video, you know, it's those lightning talks just would have fit in that format mm-hmm. so well. It would have been so easy to scroll through those oh, and, you know, and just hear the highlights of those because they were five minutes. You only had five minutes to do it. Um, so you had to get to the point real fast. How, how often would you have those lightning talks? Was it like once a week, once a month, random days? We had them at all the user groups. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we had them at the user groups. It was like, I think we did, usually at the user groups, we had like um, one presentation that was about like some topic, you know, it was maybe like 20 minutes. It was usually co-hosted with a client. So the client was kind of telling the story and the CSM was sort of interviewing them. And mm-hmm. then we would have, you know, three to five lightning talks. And then we'd have like a product component of the user group since they were all users, you know, like here are updates, here's a glimpse into the product roadmap, here's, you know, what you, and then it was, it was a two-way conversation about like, what do you think about product where, you know, where can you give some feedback? And I think that's actually a really important part of a, like a, a corporate community is like, it, it can't be one way. You, you know, you gotta, you gotta listen to your clients, mm-hmm. your customers and your community members and like making sure that um, that is available in a very authentic way. Um, and that there's a space to give feedback. So people want to feel like they're being heard, right? Like I'm, if I'm giving you my, my feedback, I want you to hear it and do something about it. So, um, you know, it, it was a great platform for that two-way conversation. Very cool. Um, kind of going full circle. And so we asked these questions, um, towards the end of all season three episodes is, um, you mentioned that you built your business initially from referrals. Um, so we, we go into asking 
you know, who do you get referrals from typically? Um, and then who do you then give referrals to? So obviously, you know, you don't touch all aspects of, of the marketing. Yep. Um, so how does that work in, in your company? You're taking, you're taking my final questions? Is that what you're doing right now? <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry. I you, started, you, you, can, all you. you can ask the question. <laughs> We can we can edit out my piece and then you can. <laughs> <laughs> um, Let's do a bake off. Who can deliver the question better? And that person ends up in the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> um, sorry, Alex. I didn't mean to interrupt. If you wanted to ask the actual question mark on the end of that, did, did you have the? Did you want, did you like want me to jump in? Sorry. Yeah, no, Amy. No, no, that was all me. All right. All right. So what I will say then is, and I'll basically ask that question is, first of all, I just want to say that we we put a lot of this on YouTube shorts uh, and that's where we get our thousands of views on is really on YouTube shorts. So clearly this type of um, medium does make really good for, for short form content. Um, and then my fear with the, you know, this community that we're trying to build is like, I don't want it to just be a round table, right? Like I don't want to, which are great and they're valuable, but like, there's so much yeah. more that you can even get just from the content that's said during the round table and everything. So, um, so yeah, I, I think, you know, putting it in different mediums and different aspects, kind of just to bring attention to the community, I think is, is very good. Um, sorry, Alex, did you have a last question before I get into these last questions? Yeah, yeah no, go ahead. <laughs> um, so yes, like Alex mentioned, uh, we have a few questions that we typically ask at the end. First one being, you know, if you had to teach something to other marketers, what would it be? Oh, gosh. To any marketer, to a, you need to be more specific. Oh, no one's ever to agency it. owners, to like, junior people, to like do, I, I could fill thirteen podcasts with that. <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> to you know anyone that maybe wants to start an agency, they just start an agency and they're looking to grow. Yeah, I think you need to know what you're good at. I think like especially in the early days, it's really easy to want to get like any business that you can, um, and I get it. Like you just need to get revenue through the door, but the wrong fit is going to slow you down and it's going to waste your time. And it's going to, you know, it's the opportunity cost of the, of the jobs that you missed and the opportunity, you know, the opportunity cost of time that you didn't spend pitching and building the right relationships. So I would say, know exactly what you want to be. You know, we knew that there was a need for early stage tech startup agency support. And we have stayed mostly laser focused on that. I would say 90% laser focused on that. The times that we have pulled in work that doesn't fit that sweet spot. Um, it's been people who we knew very well and had worked for before. And we knew we were going to, you know, it was going to work out. Um, part of that is knowing how to decipher, like if somebody fits that criteria. So like a lot, you know, we've had a couple engagements where somebody fit that description, but they were too early stage you know, and they, um, or they came in with the wrong expectations and, you know, we kind of spun our wheels a little bit on that. Like, when I think about engagements that didn't work well, that's usually what happened. The expectation setting was not appropriate. You know, we didn't do a good enough job setting expectations and saying, no, we don't want this work when they pushed back. Um, or they were a little too early stage. So I would say, know exactly who you are, sit down, write it down, write your messaging and positioning. It's so hard to do. It's so hard to do, but, um, it's so hard to walk away from business, but really making sure you know exactly what you want to be. Um, and then uh, it's personal relationships. Like people still work with people who they like. So work your network. Um, I believe really strongly in life that, you know, we all have, this is corny, but like we all have superpowers and you have to use some of them for good. So, you know, figure out how you can give back. You know, we always have at least one client who's a pro bono that like, 
we're not a huge agency. That's a, that's a lot for us to do that. But, you know, we always have at least one client who are helping because it's a good cause or because um, they need it, you know. So I think that that goes a long way. Um, Word of mouth, you know, is still the most valuable channel. I don't care what anybody says. It's the most valuable channel there is. And again, around this topic of community and referrals, um, how can you guys work with other agencies or, or what services can you partner with other agencies? Um, we, the things that we are really good at, I think are content and demand gen. I think like we can build a content plan and crank it out like nobody's business. We, it's funny because we, um, you know, we did a lot of, I've done a lot of content in my life. Elisa's and my co-founder has done a lot of content in her life. And we believe so strongly that a content, that high value content backed marketing strategy is like the way to go, especially in B2B marketing. So, you know, we had all these templates and methodologies and frameworks that we use internally. And, you know, at one point we were like, this is an ebook. Like we should create an ebook. So we have a, a content, uh, how to build a content strategy ebook. It's on our website, go download it. It's free. It has every Google doc template you could possibly need to build a very robust, um, content strategy. It kind of spells out like how to bite size it, you know, what to do first, second, third, you know? Um, and so I think that, uh, content is something that we're really good at. Demand gen campaigns, like we're good at doing them. Um, that crawl, walk, run, we're going to test it. We're going to get something in market right away. We're going to test it. And then we're going to scale, scale, scale. Um, I think we're pretty good at that. Um, but definitely, like I, like you said, you got to know what you're not good at. And like, you know, we've found really good people who um, can plug most of the holes that, that we have. Um, but it's hard. It's always hard to keep finding good vendors and good good partners and good people. So similar question, but now I'm going to kind of flip it. Um, if a client asks you, you know, can you do this? And it's not a service that you currently provide. How do you typically handle that request? Mm -hmm. We've, we'll work, we will refer it out to another, like I'll make a personal, well, first I'll call the person and see if they want the business. Because the worst thing you can do is like volley them over to another vendor and they're like, nope, Easy. this isn't us, you know? Mm -hmm. So like, it's about like, but it goes back to that whole like extra step of like giving a good, a good connection, making a good connection, right? Like it's, it's, it's helping somebody. And so, you know, I'll talk to, to one of our vendor partners, if they can't do it, do they know anybody they would recommend? And like being very transparent when you, when you do that handoff, like, Hey, Joe, who we usually work with, can't do it, but he's recommended this person. He'll introduce, you, you know? So, um, you know, it comes back to that, like old, old, adage of like helping people out. Um, and I like to check back in too. I like to, you know, put little calendar in reminders for check back in with this agency about the engagement. How's it going? How, you know, cause like we keep selling to the same people kind of over and over. So if you can stay connected, um, even when you've referred business out, I think, um, you know, one of the things that we do when people refer business to us is try and keep the original referrer connected and, 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 um, top of mind with the client because like, we want to make sure they get more business too, right? So really having like that, um, you're like a team, like a team mm -hmm. selling marketing to people who need it. And the give and take. <laughs> what were those, um, those initial <laughs> referrals that came in when you first started the business? Um, who were they coming from? What type of agencies tend to refer business to you most? Oh, they were, they were all people who we had worked with before. So they were all like people who owned businesses or who worked, they were coming in from client, from, you know, uh, eventual clients. Or what um, Still the majority of it comes from people. Who, I'm sorry. Can you say it again? 
I was going to ask, um, are there typically, is there t- typically an agency that provides like one type of service? For example, maybe they do um, PPC or SEO that typically refers to you or is, you know, where does it vary? Um, they kind of vary, you know, like we have a video agency that we absolutely love. Like I don't have videographers on my team, like mm-hmm. good, like real videographers. Like we can do little TikTok videos, but like, we, so we have an amazing video partner who we use and like, we are constantly, you know, we complement each other, right? Like somebody who's going to spend a lot of money, tens of thousands of dollars on video needs a content strategy behind it. And so mm-hmm. like we work, we work well so with that, you know, we, we work with um, a, a company that's really quite good at ad, online ads. And so when we have clients that have tens of thousands of dollars per month budgets, you know, we'll, re, we'll have them handle the ad, the ad management just because they, that's what their people do full time. And so, you know, they'll kick business to us sometimes We have a PR agency that, you know, um, will work with. I think when you find good, when you find other good agencies, um, you know, they're usually looking for other good agencies. I think, mm-hmm. you know, that you end up working with people who are kind of like your same level of goodness. So, um, those, those referrals, I think carry a lot of weight. That's the technical term, levels of goodness. A mm-hmm. <laughs> um, couple more questions. Uh, are you guys looking to hire any positions right now? Um, you know, the tech the, the, the tech world is tight right now. It has been a tough, um, 2023 has been tough for tech. So we're a pretty lean team right now. Um, I, I think we are always looking for good fit people. So if we find somebody who's a, a really like stellar cultural fit, um, who's one of those athletes who can kind of like plug in in a lot of good places, like we definitely want to talk to them. Um, uh, but right, we don't have any like specific open head count right now. And then last question and my favorite one, uh, any book or podcast or newsletter recommendations, and that can be in marketing, it can be in business, doesn't have to be, it could be anything you want. Oh my gosh. My absolute favorite podcast, I cannot get enough of it, is it's called Hard Fork. It's a New York Times technology. You guys know Hard Fork. Oh my. No, Casey and Kevin, where are you in my life? Like, I need to be friends with you. They are, they, they take, it's all about, I mean, I think it started out as like an AI, mostly AI podcast, but like they take AI news and tech news, which we're in the tech space. I need to know that that's what's going on, but like they make it um, relevant. They, they, they help with that lens for like why you should care about this. Um, and they are just so gosh darn funny. I love them. Um, I do listen to them on 2X speed because um, everybody I think talks too slow. So um <laughs> I, I don't I don't know that I would recognize them in real life by their voices because they sound like chipmunks when I when I listen to them. But their podcast comes out every Friday and I am always listening to it Friday afternoon. It's really good. We always joke that I'm I'm a very fast talker and Alex is on the slower side. Uh, and, and, and no, you cannot average us together. It, that's not how it works, unfortunately. But um, <laughs> As we uh, as we come up to the end of the episode, I just want to give you an opportunity to mention how people can find you and anything else you'd like to end with. Yeah, so we would love to work with um, or connect just with great marketers or, or um, great potential clients that are in the B2B startup space, tech space. Um, we're at wheelsupcollective.com. You can find us online or on Instagram or all the channels, um, Wheels Up Collective. Uh, we're, not on, we're not on Twitter anymore, X. We've kind of abandoned that platform. But um, uh, my email is amy at wheelsupcollective. Would love to 
connect with good people. We can't wait to be part of the, the um, community that you're building too. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you so much for coming on the show. And for those of you who've learned something new from this episode, please consider giving us a like or a follow so we can continue getting the highest quality guests. And as always, thank you for listening. Amy, I love this episode. Thank you so much. This is great. Thank you. It was super fun. Thanks for listening to the Masters in Marketing Agency podcast. I hope you got a ton of value out of this episode. And before we go, I just want to thank our sponsors, DevNoodle. DevNoodle provides marketing agencies with the ability to offer their clients unlimited website design, build, and management services with fixed monthly plans. If website design, development, and maintenance is holding your agency back from growing, please reach out to us at devnoodle.com, where we make websites easy, easy for you and easy for your clients, devnoodle.com.